Hi, this is Dave, and we are listening to Linux for Everyone in the United Kingdom. Welcome home. Hey, everybody, welcome back to Linux for Everyone, the podcast about desktop Linux, open source software, and the community creating and enjoying it. My name is Jason Evangelo. Welcome to episode 22, the last episode of 2019. As I sit down to record this, it is Monday, December 23rd, and I have survived Christmas. Now, (laughs) You might be asking, how is that possible? Well, um, it's become tradition over the last few years that we do a fake Christmas around the 21st or 22nd of December. And that is basically just to allow our family to all be here in the same place at the same time, celebrating together, enjoying each other's company without having to um, juggle crazy work schedules or anything like that. And it, it has just kind of been a tradition that has stuck. This year, it's actually a good thing that we had our fake Christmas when we did, uh, because Lana and I will be on vacation until January 7th, which means the show will be on a break as well. However, the Linux for Everyone Telegram group never sleeps and never goes on vacation. So if you haven't jumped into that community yet, I really encourage you to. It's a great way to pass the time over the holiday break with some really, really cool people. A link, of course, will be in the show notes at Linux, the number four, everyone.com, or you can search Telegram for that same name, Linux, the number four, everyone. If you happen to be searching for ways to decrease your productivity and lose, I don't know, minutes or hours of your day in the terminal, then the discovery of the week is just for you. I was 14 maybe 13, 13 or 14 years old, when Nintendo released the first Game Boy. And the first game that I had with that first Game Boy was, of course, the game everybody had at the time. It was Tetris. And oh my god, I spent so many hours just lost in that game. I would um, I would hide the Game Boy under my pillow at night, you know, go to bed and, and uh, sneak that out a few minutes later. And I had a little I don't know, some kind of light attachment so that I could play it in the dark in my bedroom. <laughs> anyway, I've just always been a fan of Tetris because it's, it, I think it's the first game that I ever played, and maybe the first game that was ever created, that really embraced that easy-to-learn, difficult-to-master approach. Well, hey, if you like using Terminal and you don't like necessarily being productive, did you know that you can play Tetris in Terminal? I didn't know this until just last week when uh, someone in our Telegram community brought up something called TENT, which stands for Tetris in Terminal. After doing a bit of research, this was originally released, I think, back in 2009. And it is as easy as, uh, if you're on Ubuntu, sudo apt install TENT, T-I-N-T. There's not a lot to discuss here. It's, it's a Tetris clone. In the terminal, just like classic Tetris, you, you choose which level to start, and you go from there. But there's a newer one by a developer named Sam Tay. 
And he has an open source ASCII implementation of Tetris that is just a little bit better because you can see the drop shadows, which indicate where your Tetris block will fall. And it's kind of um, organized into a grid too. Just it makes it makes dialing in where you want your pieces to go a lot easier. That one's not quite as easy to install, unfortunately. I wish someone would turn this into a snap. Alan Pope, you listening? <laughs> snap, please. Or flat pack. But for now, it is just a pre-compiled binary, which of course means you have to download it, give it permission to run, and then browse to it in a terminal and fire it up. But both of these are just such a great time sink. Whether that's a good or bad thing, I will leave for you to decide. So, where were we? In uh, episode 21, I started a countdown of sorts, revisiting all of the uh, the things that I learned about Linux and the various discoveries that really made an impact on me this year. So if you haven't heard that one yet, if you're just jumping in now and thought, hey, I'm going to just check out the newest episode of Linux for everyone, do yourself a favor and at least back up to episode 21 first, and then just roll into this one. So this is part two of what I'm calling the 12 months of Linux discoveries. And we're picking it up now in July of 2019, specifically July 19th. That is when a little something called Linux for Everyone, episode zero, went live to the world. It's difficult to limit this to just a few minutes And I guess, among other reasons, that is because this show, while it's not my full-time job, while it's barely a part-time job in terms of revenue, I do have 60, 70 very awesome patrons who support this show and put a little bit of money into the virtual piggy bank for, you know, uh, bandwidth costs and things like that. And that is amazing. And I'm so grateful. But in terms of time and energy spent, it does kind of feel like a full-time job. There has been this enormous worldwide community that has risen up around this show and around my Linux journey, and it doesn't end with me just sitting at my desk and recording, producing, and releasing a show. It continues on a day-to-day basis on Telegram and Mastodon and email and in real life and uh, it's it's a it's quite a beast it's quite an amazing fun rewarding beast i never would have dreamed that after less than 6 months i would have nearly 100,000 downloads of the show plus an additional 1500 subscribers on the youtube channel and and it, it just blows me away you guys it just blows me away anyway i started this show for many reasons The primary one was that I wanted to have something that I had 100% creative control and ownership of this thing that I wanted to create. And it would um, let me more proactively engage with the community and build the community, not just audience to podcaster avenue, but a community that engaged with each other as well. 
And that's one of the most incredible rewarding things that I've seen spring out of this show is that it's not just people talking to me. It's not just me talking to other people. It's people talking to each other and making friends and coming together, sharing their um, hobbies, their interests, their struggles, their cup of coffee in the morning on Telegram. That That is a thing that we do, you know. Hey, it's coffee time. Here's what I'm drinking. It's a worldwide community of friends that formed around a common thing, but it has really grown well beyond that. And I think that once most people reach this point, they, they would feel really satisfied. And I did. Don't get me wrong. I, I, I really did. And I really do. But to add, you know, more icing on top of the cake, a couple months after the show launched, I got to attach my community to an even bigger, wider reaching community with Destination Linux Network. So I, I just want to thank Michael and Zeb and Noah and Ryan, not just for getting me on board and, and believing in what I'm doing, but for constantly striving to increase the reach of Linux in general and increase the awareness of having such a friendly, global, and accepting community. It's refreshing to know that whatever you're doing regarding Linux, whether you are having the worst time and trying to overcome all of these issues, or whether you're having the time of your life, that you're not alone. All right, last but certainly not least, I have to give a very warm thank you to every special guest that has been on this show since July. And I have been, I've been humbled to have some of these people. These people have taken two or three hours out of their day to just join me and talk about what they love and give the world their unique perspective on things. So Daniel Foray from Elementary OS, Barton George of Dell's Project Sputnik, Chris from Chris Titus Tech, Christopher Scott of Microsoft, Connor Murphy from the Linux Lads podcast, a very talented indie game developer, Zappa, Carl Rochelle and Kate Hazen of System76, Jeremy White, the CEO of Codeweavers, Liam Daw from Gaming on Linux, RTM Zorin of Zorin OS, Michael, Zeb, and Ryan from Destination Linux, and of course, the coolest person of them all, I'm a little biased though, my wife Lana for joining me on an episode and taking the Linux journey right alongside me. As far as what to expect in 2020, I've got a lot planned. I just need more time to actually execute it all. But definitely many more special guests, more new segments, more game nights, and, and in general, just getting the community even more involved than you guys have been already. So stay tuned, stay subscribed, and stay in touch. In August, I had the opportunity to talk with a one-man indie development studio who has a philosophy of putting Linux first with his games. And that man is Zappa, and his studio is Bearded Giant Games. The most recent release is Space Mercs. And his development of Space Mercs brought to light a lot of really interesting revelations about creating games for Linux. Here's what really blew my mind. Steam on Linux has, I don't know, roughly a 1% market share, right? So how does an indie game developer release a game that has 35% of its sales on Linux? His experience totally defied the conventional wisdom of developing games for Linux. 
and he goes into so much detail. That is episode three. So if you want to go back and listen to that for some context, I highly recommend it. But I also have uh, some highlights from our interview over at Forbes. And of course, uh, all of the articles and, and videos and stuff that I'm mentioning in this episode will be on the show notes for this episode. But one of the key takeaways is that it's not just about, I'm going to develop my game on Unity. It's also about using middleware that is 100% supported on Windows as well. It goes beyond that, though. His success happened because he was actively engaging with the Linux community, and the Linux community was participating in the QA and the testing of his game. And so what happens then is you've got a very happy, engaged fan base, and you have less technical issues that crop up on the Linux release. Anyway, um, it was a really, really insightful conversation for me and kind of opened my eyes to the possibilities that are there for indie developers to have a really good, successful run making their games for um, multiple platforms, but also including Linux in a meaningful way with their uh, release strategy. Now, back in August, Zappa told me that he is very, very close to being able to survive, to live on just the income that he's making from Linux. And he's hoping that down the road, he can create Linux-only games. So, he is someone to keep an eye on, and uh, the studio, once again, is Bearded Giant Games. September was an interesting month because it was, for me, less about discoveries and learning and more about things that were developing in the Linux ecosystem, and I think things that will push the Linux ecosystem forward. Now, both of these are very divisive because they involve Microsoft and they involve Huawei and Deepin. Of course, in my admittedly pragmatic view of the world, I think that these are positives. Now, in September, a Linux advocate working inside Microsoft named Christopher Scott came across my radar, and he has been championing various Microsoft services and products on Linux. And one of his first successful stories centered around Microsoft Teams for Linux. And it was finally announced that Microsoft would be developing a native Linux client for Teams. And this is important because that client actually got released in sort of a public preview state earlier this month in December 2019. And the way that Microsoft phrased their announcement made it pretty clear that Teams is going to be the first Microsoft 365 product being launched on Linux. Christopher Scott is also championing things like Office itself, and like OneDrive, and like the full-fat Visual Studio. The bottom line for me is, I think that in 2020 and through 2021, we're going to see a convergence of support coming from Microsoft into the Linux ecosystem, and I think that's going to benefit awareness of Linux itself. And I think that it could be a big win for a lot of businesses and organizations as well. Anyway, if you missed the episode with Christopher Scott, I do encourage you to listen to it because this guy is very driven in what he's trying to do for Linux. And at the same time, he's very direct about some of the criticisms he has for the company that he works for. And he does this in a, in a 
delicate political uh, way, but it's effective. And my chat with him was really awesome. So definitely check it out. Link will be in the show notes, of course, at Linux, the number four, everyone.com. Now, adding to this whole theme is the fact that in September, Huawei also started selling select Matebook laptops with Deepin pre-installed. And I'm not going to get into the spyware or not arguments. I'm not going to get into the politics, the economics, the blacklist, any of that stuff. I view this news as, again, a positive for Linux. Because gradually, we're going to start seeing a an influential corporation like Huawei selling a very premium brand of laptop with a very beautiful Linux distribution. And if this is successful and embraced in China, I am confident that they are going to extend this out to Europe and other regions. And look, I just think that when you have any major OEM selling Linux alongside Microsoft Windows as a viable alternative, as one that they're actively promoting and selling that premium laptop for a little bit less money, I think that is a great thing for awareness of Linux itself. So regardless of your stance towards Huawei or towards Deepin, I covered this in a, a positive light because I just want to see Linux grow. So now we come to the last three months of the year. And in hindsight, it actually unfolded like a season-long story arc on a, on a Netflix series. More specifically, one of those narratives where the viewer kind of has a clue what's going to happen to the character way before the character realizes that it's going to happen. Well, my little story arc started with Peppermint 10. Something I had been wanting to do all year was pick up a, a ridiculously ultra-budget, crappy laptop, and we're talking under $200 and see how the Windows experience on that laptop compared with a Linux experience. And I finally got the opportunity to play with one of these devices, and it was the Asus VivoBook E203M. And, uh, you know, this is, a, this is a little Intel dual-core laptop with 4 gigs of RAM and a 64-gigabyte uh, flash storage. This is the kind of laptop where if you want to multitask on Windows, it's going to do that with, uh, you know, the enthusiasm of a drunk snail. And Zebedee Boss from Destination Linux, he said, you really have to put Peppermint 10 on this laptop. Not only is it going to be perfect for you, but it's going to make for a great comparison to Windows. But I have to be honest with you, I was hesitant for a few different reasons. And I think the biggest reason was that Peppermint 10, while being based on Ubuntu, runs on the LXDE desktop environment. I had never used it. And it's not, it's not a desktop that you hear a lot of Linux podcasts or press really talking about. It really just hasn't infiltrated headlines and, and discussions like GNOME or KDE or even XFCE. It's one of those desktops that is meant to run on older hardware, so that's a plus. But the side effect, kind of like XFCE in many cases, is that, man, it just does not look very good out of the box. 
But holy crap, Peppermint 10 looked great out of the box. You could tell the developers had massaged it and given it so much love. And what was really fascinating is once I was digging around Peppermint, I started to notice there were there were so many elements to it. You know, toss in this window manager and toss in these two package managers and take a few elements from XFCE and a few elements from here and there. Um, Zeb actually described it as a Frankenstein OS. And maybe that's something that would turn a lot of people off and say, oh, that sounds really disjointed and, and sloppy. Now, the results of this comparison between Windows 10 and Peppermint 10 on a super ultra-budget, low-end laptop will not surprise you. If you want to learn more about it, of course, there is a a companion article over at Forbes and a companion podcast for this topic with Zeb. What I really didn't discuss publicly, though, was how confused I became after my experience with Peppermint 10. It was so good that I obviously left it on the, uh, the Asus laptop, and I also installed it over... Pop! OS and Ubuntu on my much higher-end Dell XPS 13, because not only did it have snappier performance than both of those distros, but it drastically extended the battery life of that machine, and that's kind of like my holy grail. It confused me because I've been on this journey, this, this search, this hunt for, you know, a forever distro, and that has been kind of driving the things that I explore and the things that I write about and the things that I talk about, trying to find this this perfect solution that can run across all of my machines. And that, my friends, leads us into November and I think what became the most popular article of the year that I had written at Forbes. As I look at it now, it's uh, it's just shy of 400,000 views. This is the the headline. My search for the perfect Linux OS just ended with an unexpected surprise. And the big light bulb moment for me, the big realization for me, was that the perfect distro doesn't exist for me. It can exist for you. It doesn't exist for me. And I had really, I, I sat down and really put some thought and some almost some soul-searching into this article. And I identified going through several different phases. I started with the Ubuntu phase. It was my doorway into Linux, and it remained my distro of choice for, I don't know, six to eight months, maybe. And then that's when the personal curiosity took over, though, you know, what else is out there? What other combinations of distros and desktop environments and and package managers can I can I play with? And that was that was kind of both personal and professional, right? Because I was starting to cover Linux at Forbes on a much more regular basis. And I, I felt like I couldn't do that if I wasn't learning about these things and and you know expanding my own knowledge. So then it led to part two, phase two, I guess, the the distro hopping phase. And that's of course when I just went nuts. And I wrote in here, like the entire cast of Seinfeld treated their significant others, there was always something to nitpick, but I also appreciated everything that was brought to the table. I just felt unsettled, unable to find that perfect distribution that not only looked fantastic out of the box and ran like a champ, but also catered to the Linux gaming crowd in various ways. Then I discovered Pop! OS. And that 
put me into phase three, the System76 phase. A quick, a quick little side note here. I'm still sort of in that phase, at least on the hardware side, because I adore my Oryx Pro and I adore my uh, Thaleo. And these are, these are the, these are the systems that I use all the time and they are just rock solid for me. But I mentioned, uh, I mentioned my preference for Pop OS in episode 21 in part one of this little two episode uh, series here. So you can go back and listen to that. I'm not going to rehash all of that here. Part four was, of course, the peppermint predicament. I want to read this portion of the article just to kind of start driving this story arc home a little bit. It started when I put Peppermint OS on an ultra-budget laptop and it just screamed. It didn't hurt that it was so polished right out of the box. Then I nuked Pop OS from my Dell XPS 13 in favor of Peppermint OS. I was welcomed with dramatically longer battery life. That's when the forever distro mentality crept right back in. Maybe this could be the one, I wondered. I wanted Peppermint OS on everything. The, the serious hurdle was replicating the same great experience I had with the synergy of System76 software and hardware. Now, the CEO of Peppermint, uh, Mark Greaves, he spent hours with me on Telegram voluntarily, troubleshooting, suggesting all these approaches, uh, continued to research after I had even given up. He was a real trooper. I was just adamant on using the same distro for every piece of equipment I had. This article actually has a photo of one of my desktops and four different laptops, all with Peppermint 10 running. And uh, that that kind of (laughs) nailed it home, you know? But then Zeb's comment about how Peppermint 10 was Frankensteined together, it started echoing in my head. Like, like, you know, it's that one, that one wise statement that the main character hears, or that little piece of advice that, that leads the character to their ultimate uh, realization or their destiny or whatever you want to call it. So let me read this next part. Linux is all about choice. It's modular. Like the Borg, it adapts to any situation. So why try to force a square peg into a round hole? Peppermint CEO Mark Reeves, he cherry-picked the best elements of the LXDE, XFCE, and Cinnamon desktop environments. He used both Mint and GNOME software centers. He used multiple package managers. On paper, Peppermint OS should be a disaster, but it's brilliant. It's just not the ideal distribution for one of my machines. And that's when it all came into focus. I use Linux because Windows users don't have this kind of flexibility. You want a Windows 10 that runs like a dream on your crappy dual-core laptop with 4 gigabytes of RAM? Sorry, not an option. But with Linux, I can use the same exact software across any distribution I want. I can effortlessly make a backup on my Oryx Pro that's running Kubuntu and restore that on my XPS 13 that's running Peppermint OS. We have the tools to adapt to make it a seamless experience while using the absolute best distribution that fits our needs based on that unique scenario. How awesome is that? So I realized I don't need to find a forever distro. I can distro hop for years if I want to. I just need Linux. I just need the tools. I can Frankenstein my own thing together. And that's that's just a 
that's a really beautiful thing. Yeah, so that happened in November, and that was a serious turning point in this little journey of mine. But that was nothing compared to the System 76 superfan event that I was able to attend. After uh, something like 14 or 15 months of using Linux, I finally got to meet some members of this community face-to-face. I got to meet some of the developers and the engineers who were making a distribution and a piece of hardware that I, I love. I got to see their, their passion and their differing opinions about everything, but at the same time, their really mutual respect for everybody else, regardless of their opinions. I got to finally see what the magic is about, the magic of the Linux community, and I was just 100% hooked after that. And if all of that wasn't enough in November, I finally decided to become a proper YouTuber and do some actual videos instead of just uh, posting a video version of the podcast with a 16 by 9 uh, episode cover. Like everything with this journey, that has been super challenging, but super rewarding. And I really like the format uh, because I feel like I have some some room to experiment and just kind of see what, uh, you know, throw stuff against the wall, see what sticks. I mean, sometimes I'll do a, a five-minute quick look of a distro, and then what about doing the next video with the same distribution, but starting from a completely fresh installation and just setting it up like I would normally set it up and, and uh, give people a glimpse into how that works and uh, maybe show them a few new things. And even myself, maybe learn a few new things with all the people commenting on the video. In the future, I want to do, I don't know, some some live gaming benchmarks or just uh, some Q&As or it's just a neat format. And I'm looking forward to doing a lot more of uh, the video stuff in 2020. And you thought I was done with November, but I'm totally not. To cap that month, I had my wife join me on episode 19 and tell me about her Linux origin story which, spoiler if you haven't heard it, was way, way before mine ever started. And at the same time, she agreed to do a monthly uh, Lana Tries Linux segment, and she has actually switched away from Windows at home and is really dedicating herself to uh, to using a, a, a new Linux distro every month and just kind of learning and exploring it. So it's freaking awesome. November was pretty cool. <laughs> And I had a birthday. I had a birthday too. So yeah, wow. Um, I could stop there. I, I really could stop there. Because it, it does make December feel really anticlimactic in a way. Uh, but December was still was still terrific. In December, I finally got to play with an old 2013 MacBook Pro that I had sitting in my mom's garage in the States. And uh, I brought that home and rediscovered my love for the older solid quality Mac hardware and reconnected with elementary OS, which just felt so perfect on Mac hardware, especially if you're used to that desktop paradigm and that kind of workflow and, and elegance in your in your OS. And that of course took me down another rabbit hole because isn't this what isn't this the recurring theme of Linux for everyone is oh this is cool. I have to try everything now. So, you know, I installed a bunch of different distributions on the Mac, 
that was just a really fun experience. Was able to make a video out of that and and write a sort of guide over on Forbes and had tons of people coming out of the woodwork going, oh man, I just revived my 2011 iMac or my 2009 MacBook Pro. And I just, I love stories like that. I love when people react to just something that I was curious about and uh, it ends up helping them. So that (laughs) brings us to the end of 2019, 12 months of discoveries, of learning, of highlights, and lessons. And the biggest lesson of all that I want to leave you with is this. Linux is about creating and enjoying those creations. Linux is about learning, and it's about teaching those who want to learn. It's about discovering something new around every corner, and it's about being perfectly comfortable with what you have. It's about joining a community or creating one from nothing. It's about you, and it's about me. So as we all head into a new decade and a new year, let's keep all that in mind. Let's respect the choices that everybody makes. Let's be receptive to change, but not try to force change on someone else. And let's really just appreciate for a minute that whatever component of Linux that someone's using, I don't care what it is, the, the, the colors of their terminal window, the package manager that they use, the, uh, the window manager, whatever. Let's appreciate the fact that that probably brings them a lot of joy, and that's really cool. All right, my friends, I need to wrap this up so that I can go on vacation and uh, have a little bit of R&R in a beautiful new country. Before I say goodbye for this year, I want to do something a little different. I know I haven't given you a new song from the source in a while, and that's because they're difficult to find, if I'm being completely honest. Finding a good song, a quality song that is made on Linux, it's just, I have no doubt that they're out there. I don't think there's a limitless supply out there, but I know that the there are musicians and very talented people working on it, and it's just uh, it's a lot of effort to find them. So I'm going to ask you guys a favor: if you come across any musicians creating songs, composing music with open source software, or doing it on a Linux distribution, please point them in my direction. In the meantime, I thought it would be fun to share the full version of the theme song that you hear at the beginning of this show. I don't think I've ever done this. I think I did this on a couple uh, live streams, but there weren't a lot of people listening to that. So we're going to make it official. The song is called Brain Dead, and the music was written by my friend Jerry Morrison, who is actually contributing more music to some very special, let's just call them Linux marketing projects. Okay, I'll throw that little teaser out there. We're going to talk a lot more about that in the new year as well. Jerry is super talented, and you're going to be hearing more from him. Anyway, Jerry handled the music, and he even wrote the lyric to this song, and I contributed the vocals. So we collaborated on this tune, and uh, it's one of one of the fa- my favorite songs that I've ever worked on. Jerry and I have expressed our intent to work on more music together, and we've expressed our intent to do it on Linux. So that is another one of the many uh, ambitious goals that I have for 2020. However, this song was recorded and produced on a Mac. So there you go. But it's a great song, and I wanted to share it with you guys. So I hope you enjoy it. 
and I hope you enjoy your holiday, and uh, I hope you guys have a a successful and sane and prosperous 2020. I will see you in a few weeks, and until we speak again, take care, and take care of each other. Innocent, innocent.